All right, well, welcome everybody to this uh, discussion about the psychology of retirement. Um, I'm guessing a number of people who are either here with us live today or are listening to this as the audio podcast recording are probably from a, a financial advice or a super um, background. And for you guys, I'm guessing um, the importance of retirement probably needs a little introduction. Uh, it's obviously a big part of what many advisors do is help their clients with retirement planning advice. Uh, for super funds, of course, we've got the Retirement Income Review, Retirement Income Covenants, and a big push to give help, guidance, and advice and the products and services for members as they um, increasingly transition uh, from accumulation into retirement. Uh, now, retirement is a big topic, uh, so today we're going to focus on a few possibly niche uh, sort of psychological issues around uh, the retirement space. And to have this conversation with me today, I'm joined by Andrew Russell. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Sam. Um, so Andrew is a veteran from the advice industry, and in particular, he has just written a book, which for those of you who are, well, maybe you can't see it on my screen there because of the background, but anyway, he's written a book called My Future's So Bright, I Gotta Wear Shades, Finding Reason and Meaning in Retirement. So I've had a read through the book, and the format, my proposed format for today is that I'm going to ask Andrew a bunch of questions uh, that occurred to me that sort of tickled my fancy or that sort of had some alignment with the psychological research and things that I was uh, interested in. Um, I'm interested to see what uh, Andrew's uh, responses are. We'll have a bit of a conversation back and forward. I'll throw in my two cents. Um, but for anyone else online, if you would uh, like to contribute comments, uh, questions as we go, I'll do my best to keep an eye on the chat box and we'll incorporate them into the conversation. And failing that, we'll at least come back to them uh, towards the end. So uh, I think I might start off, Andrew, just by introduction then. Uh, do, you, do you mind just giving a sense of sort of the genesis of the book, what led you to write it, the intended audience, what are you trying to achieve with it? Um, keep your eye on the chat box. The person who can um, name the terrible 80s band that that lyric comes from, so my future so bright, I've got to wear shades, 10 points to whoever can guess the terrible 80s UK band. Um, but aside from that, the genesis of the book is a fascinating one. I, I'm, I've been, I'm one of those people who've been in the industry for a long time, so I understand the power of superannuation, the power of investment. Um, I understand risk-reward. I, I happen to have a very good advisor. That's why I'm in a position to be able to contemplate retirement. So it's certainly not a book that's around maths or um, the technical side of, of retirement. Um, but what he couldn't help me with was the psychology side of it and um, I started to do a lot of reading um, to say, well, if I'm going to replace, if I can liken, if you remember the, the board game Trivial Pursuit where you go around and collect pieces of pie and if you liken each of those pieces of pie to a, a chunk of your life, so there's a work chunk, there's, there may be health, there may be friends, family, it might be stuff that you do yourself, your hobbies, your, your passions, your spirit and some other pieces, um, three, three, out, three or four out of the six for me will probably work. Um, because as you go through your career, you're spending most of your time, 50 hours plus a week, building businesses, building a career, um, you know, gainfully employed doing those sorts of things. And then I thought to myself, if, if I take away those pieces of the pie, what am I going to replace them with? So um, I've always been a bit of a, a curious cat. I, I, I've got lots of different hobbies. Um, and I thought by distracting myself with different sorts of things, I'd ease my way into retirement. That way. Um, but that's easy to keep yourself occupied playing golf or doing the various things you do. But what's what's the purpose? Because 
work matters. Work's a very important part of our life. It's a big part of our self-image. It's a big, big part of what we, how we identify ourselves as people. It's, it's also you, you matter to people. Uh, if you don't show up, something happens. Either a client isn't isn't happy, or a supplier isn't happy, or your staff aren't happy. So how do you go about replacing that? But trying to replace it with something that just doesn't absorb all of that time. So a lot of reading, like you, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader, and I couldn't find a, a book that summarised it for me. I found lots of great articles um, in America. If you Google reason and meaning in the Google machine in America. You read great articles and then they tend to head down this faith-based sort of pathway. And I thought, well, that's not my bag. It might be for some others. But so I was looking for stuff and I ended up reading a lot of psychology books in the end that seemed to, to, to really nail a few things for me around goal setting and, and how people are really innately designed to, to, to chase a goal and chase a dream. So I thought there was a lot in that for me. Um, and then I have a collection of friends who have, have begun to retire. And so I was having a chat with a friend of mine, Adrian, who's done a similar role to me. He's been around the world in financial services, came back. Um, his plan was to travel. He was going to do the ubiquitous six months in the UK and Spain, six months in Australia and never see a winter. And then COVID happened and he didn't have a plan B. So... He was interested to say, well, if you write the book, I'll read it because I need to understand what my plan B is. And, like, and likewise, I had another friend who's retired three times who's a real estate agent. He just doesn't know what to do. So he's never really thought it through. So I had a lot of this input and then I was speaking with some financial advisor friends of mine who said we would like to become more involved in counselling our clients beyond just the financial aspects of retirement. We'd like to talk to them about how they might prepare themselves, whether they equip themselves by doing quizzes or programs or discussions. Uh, and my book was, they saw my book as a catalyst for, for them to have those, those chats. So, so all of that inspiration um, led me to, to doing the book. Um, don't know if you've ever written a book, Simon. Um, I read a lot of them, but doesn't my really, fourth one. doesn't really qualify to the write them, does it? Um, as a first-time writer, I found it quite complex to organise my thoughts mm. in, a, in, a, in a way and then trying to have an authentic conversation with the, the reader. So, um, yeah, it was a good experience. And for me, look, it's a lived experience because I'm just going through the early phases of the transition. Um, so the book is for selfishly, um, I'm looking for feedback <laughs> because what it has, so I was saying off air before we started, was the conversations it's generating with not only my friends but a lot of uh, extended people I, I talk to about it are really fascinating. Um, so it seems like it's a topic that people are interested in in talking about. Well, fantastic. Well, let's on that note, let's get into some of the detail then and uh, have a chat about some of those uh, those issues. Um, so this is in no particular order, but just, a, I guess, a bunch of things that uh, I um, came across in the book. Uh, one that uh, I quite liked. So this, this is, so from my perspective, one of the things that I talk to people about quite often is how people's decisions can be influenced by just the way a problem or, or an issue is framed. 
Yep. And sometimes very simply, you can change the framing of words on a page. Sometimes it's more complicated and then applying a different perspective. So I quite like looking for opportunities to, for, to reframe things in different ways and therefore to influence how people nudge people towards making better or different choices. And you use that concept, I think, fairly on in the book when you're talking about just changing even the word that we use to describe uh, retirement. So, do you mind just giving a sense? Of what are sort of some of the suggestions? Why do you think we need a different word for retirement? And maybe give us one or two. I know that you had quite a few in the book, but maybe give us one or two of your favourite alternatives that you'd suggest. Yeah. Well, retirement. I, I personally, I don't like the word because it sounds so final. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like you're going to bed on your life. You know that you're you're retiring from from everything, and and the meant in it. Is, is such a final thing. It means it almost sounds like there's nothing beyond it. And I know it's a term that's enshrined in all of our technical jargon and it comes out of our superannuation system and you've got to have a word, I get that. But the retirement in the context of, of, of financials is the, the period at which you can access the benefits that you've accrued, right? So I get it, but um, no one ever really gets to a point and switches off immediately that's not how the world works even if you've been in your own business and you sell your business you're selling it over a period of time right you're transitioning out of it you might be kept on you might stay on um, as a consultant or on the board or something like that similarly if you're employed um, these days with flexible working hours you might drop to four days you might drop to three days and just gradually sort of move on out so i like the word transition um, because I think it embodies a couple of things. It embodies just the way you ease out of, of the working environment into whatever's next. Mm. Um, it's also important because you're transitioning your habits, you're transitioning the time you spend with potentially if you've got a partner, you, you, you're moving into that world, and that's really complicated. That's a, that's a whole other piece of conversation. Um, but it gives you time to experiment and learn because if you're transitioning into that, you've got a bit more time. What am I going to do with it? Well, I might try this, I might try that, I might try that. Oh, that didn't work, so I might try this. So I like transition, and I think it, it's a neater um, summary. Um, realignment's another one that, that a lot of my friends use because they're pivoting now towards focusing on their next, their next period. You, you might have heard the term the third age or third wave. There's a lot of that goes on. Um, my time is, is a selfish term, but, you know, if you have been selfless a lot of, a lot of your life where you've um, been busy working for others and earning income to support others, then my time is, is quite a nice term. Um, but the more amusing term is um, from a friend of mine who, when he's asked, what do you do? Because uh, that's a conversation in itself. What do you do? Well, it's easy if you're in a work context and you're a cocktail party, say, well, I run an IT company or I'm a financial advisor and I'm a, and you identify with your work environment, um, then what do you, what do you, how do you answer when someone asks you that at a barbecue? You say, what am I now? So he's, he's got a great term. He says, I'm self-unemployed, mm. which gets a laugh, but it's a lovely term because you've chosen with the self to be unemployed and people's follow-up question to that is, is pretty interesting. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that we oh, right. What I mean by that is this is what I'm doing now. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think a few of those different terms just are probably more accurately describe the lived experience you go through when you when you do cease working as much. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a couple of things I liked in there as well. I mean, one of them, as you said, retirements with an F on the end, which is sort of, I guess, aligned with the idea of transitions. Yeah. And that's when I read that, I was thinking in part, and I, I don't know when I've seen this, but about, I think this is the point you made as well, that you actually go through several life transitions in your life. And also after the point of this retirement thing, there's going to be more transitions, more, so it's not just one um, sort of unified whole after retirement. But it, it did make me reflect on some research that I saw a while ago, so I, I won't be able to remember the details, but it was something along the lines of some people have had more of these transitions in their lives than others. Some people have had massive career changes. They've had a redundancy. They've started a business. The business has failed or they've sold. They've started something else. And so they've gone through these all these transitions. And the people who had already been through one or two transitions, when, when they, well, career transitions, in this case I'm referring to, I guess, when they became redundant, for example, or something else adverse happened to them, the people who had already sort of practiced, if you like, going through those transitions, yeah. having to reinvent yeah. themselves, were then more able to cope with whatever this next thing was that came up. They were had spent less time unemployed after a business failure or sale or a, a redundancy or that sort of thing. So I quite like that. It's not this big, scary one event. It's actually, there's a whole lot of these things in your life before retirement, after retirement, they're all these transition events. And it just sort of it de-escalated the anxiety, I think, which I think is where you perhaps we're going, that you've got this massive giant step change that's going to take place into the uh, into the unknown. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty logical. You said that my personal experience is I've had a couple of periods where I've had career breaks some were forced upon me, others were chosen. Um, and they were great periods because that that gave you the opportunity to think, well, what's possible, you know? Um, obviously, work is a thing that generates income and you, you've got to exchange your labour for money in some form or other, but having breaks gave you an opportunity, a bit of a peek into the, the future, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, and so a couple of comments here. Mm. So is the transition harder for people who've worked full-time uh, for a long time. So I think that's what that research was suggesting. For people who haven't had that, th those sorts of breaks, it, it was certainly harder for, well, it was, I think in the context of that research, it was harder when they had an enforced career break. It wasn't a retirement break, but it was a forced enforced career break. Without having a number to plan for it, potentially. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. The, um, the other comment there, uh, life after full-time work as a potentially a bit of a mouthful, but but that actually links into one of the, your other points, which I think was uh, where you said the po a point of financial thinking of retirement as a point of financial freedom, rather than the point of no longer working. In which in which case you might actually continue to work, but you don't feel obliged to it, and so it's quite a different mindset change. Yeah, very different uh, at that point, even if you are still working, but you're not. Look, 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 uh, and there's nothing inherently wrong with work. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that because a lot of people have a lot of passion about what they do. That financial freedom bit is I'm doing it because I want to, not because I have to. Uh, and then that also probably goes, well, I might not work as much. I'll just do enough and then I might, I might pursue other things. So, again, that's that transition bit that I was talking about. Yeah, now I'm just going to um, find a quote. So uh, the, the next bit I had was uh, sort of similar on a similar sort of theme is around the mindset for uh, about thinking about retirement. Uh, and I think that you, I, I got a sense that you were, pushing against uh, perception that retirement is this negative anxiety provoking um, sort of event for many people, which I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it is. And, and in doing so, you said things like, um, um, it's the point you can do things you choose rather than the things that others choose for me. 
uh, and you say, for most people, retirement is the first time in decades that they can finally pursue their hobbies and passions. And so when I read that, I was thinking, that sounds awesome for retirement, but it sounds terrible for the rest of your life. <laughs> you had to wait all this whole period of time and only now can you do the things that you're actually interested in? So my, I guess my, my question here is that that seems like it's, if, if that's how people are leaving their lives and that's a fairly unbalanced, it's awesome for retirement, but a fairly unbalanced sort of life. Yeah. Is there a more balanced view, do you think, that we can come to where actually oh, it doesn't have to be? It sounds a bit like delayed gratification, doesn't it? Um, I didn't really intend it to be that. Although, you know, the afterpay generation could probably do with a bit of delayed gratification, but that's another point. Um, I think, yes, you've got to live in the present but plan for the future. I think that's that's the fun. And I think all I'm really referring to there is time. Um, you often don't have the time to pursue your hobbies or don't, don't have time to pursue them to the extent that you want to. I think we all have hobbies and passions and different sorts of things, but you'd be amazed. Um, I've read some surveys recently of, of what people do when they finish work or what they say they're going to do when they finish work. Travel is the one that comes up number one across the board. Um, hobbies comes up and golf comes up. That must be a whole lot of blokes out there who want to play more golf than they can or something, I don't know. But um, I think it's a time-based thing, uh, Simon. I think you you can only do what you often, if you are full-time work, you can only squeeze in your hobbies on the weekends. And typically you've got competing priorities. Um, retirement or the, the opportunity to work less just gives you more freedom to pursue them. So that's really what I was meaning by that. Um, I certainly wasn't suggesting that you need to wait until retirement to do that but i think it's just you get a bit more time up your sleeve yeah possibly that's a disappointing indictment on the the way that our lives are structured around full-time high intensity work throughout our lives so if that's if the time impost is the is the impediment and i, I agree it probably is for a lot of people then it's disappointing we can't have more people working four days a week or something and have the one day to I don't know, cover off some of those things. I think that that's starting to change. Time. I've noticed that in the last 10 years of my sort of working career that that's, that's really started to change, the flexible working hours, the, the flexible time, and I think that's a really positive thing. Um, mm. I think COVID's probably worsened that. I think people worked harder, um, bizarrely, even though that they were working from their, their residences often, um, they worked harder um, than they probably would have before. Yeah, and the, the whilst we're talking about time here rather than dollars, I mean the, the dollar bit I think is interesting because it's we're trying to make trade-offs across vast times in our lives, aren't we? Between a dollar spent in my twenties versus maybe saving it for retirement, and the sort of I guess the rational economic models, the life cycle hypothesis, which I think was Medigliani's model, which says we should probably try and smooth consumption uh, across a life, and it's there's a utility curve, and anyway, there's a bit of technical stuff that will go into the saying yeah, that's probably from a happiness perspective and a, from a life enjoyment satisfaction you probably should try and smooth things and then you mentioned the buy now pay, pay later so if i'm a if i'm a young person with a relatively low income i'm paying off my hex debt from uni still i'm sort of struggling to make ends meet do i really want to put a dollar aside for when i'm 65 when i'll probably be a damn sight richer than i am now when i'm 25 Bear in mind, if I do, it will be accumulated, be like worth $10 when I get to retirement. But if that's, if I'm really struggling right now, that the happiness benefit of the $10 in retirement versus the $1 now, it still might be a trade-off that's not worth making. What's your view on that? That's, that goes straight to financial literacy. And I was having this chat this week that 
we don't do enough of that at school. And unless people have access to financial advice, which very few do these days, um, people aren't learning that. Um, people aren't don't have the opportunity to make those trade-offs. And they're, they're pure trade-offs, aren't they? Um, yeah, but there's a financial aspect of that, understanding that my $1 today is $10 in 60 years' time or 50, 40, whatever it is. But the happiness trade-off, I wonder whether that's actually, people are conscious of that as well, that one $1 today, well, sorry, the $10 in the future, setting yeah. aside inflation, let's keep it real, in real dollars, $10 in the future, if it's part of my $1 million retirement portfolio versus $10 today, when I'm living hand to mouth and I've got a credit card debt I can't pay off and I'm really struggling to put food on the table. Actually, I'd, <laughs> despite the compound interest, sometimes it might be better. So that, And even in retirement as well, the Retirement Income Review is showing that a lot of people are living really below the level of, of consumption that they possibly could. And so that's and that those trade-offs, we just seem to be pretty poor at making them. So, so I think you've just invented something there. It's an inverse curve, isn't it? There's a happiness curve versus a delayed gratification curve. You can put that in your next book um, because I think that's what you've identified. And you've also identified another thing that I touch on is that people's attitude to money is an interesting topic because people are spenders or savers or they might worry about money or avoid worrying about money. And they might have enough money in their nest egg when they do stop working. But the people that are spenders, and I'm guilty, um, we might have an ability to pursue our plans to a greater extent than people who are still in that mentality of, I don't want to spend any money, I've got to save some for a rainy day. They might not enjoy their retirement as much. Their kids will because they'll inherit it more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you've got some trade-offs there, right, between you've got, like uh, a mortality when you do eventually decide to pull the pin where you move from accumulation to turning the, the tap on the water tank and the water starts running out. Hopefully the water doesn't run out before you do. Um, and you want to leave some in the tank for, you, for, your, for your next generation potentially. So they're trade-offs you're making absolutely in that, in that next phase. Um, am, I, you know, am I spending the kids' inheritance? Yes, I am, but I'm going to leave them something. I'm not going to leave it all to them and to not have any gratification myself and not pursue my plans. So they're interesting questions um, and everyone's got a different attitude to money that's probably ingrained in them from, from the previous generation and, they've, you know, and it's cultural sometimes too. It's, it's a fascinating topic. I don't yeah, well, that- delve into that too much in the book, but I touch on it because I think it's pretty interesting. Well, that, I mean, it's a bit of a segue to my next question, which is about the, the sort of legacy, um, the idea that you want to leave a legacy. And you, you mentioned the financial legacy there, but one of the things you yeah. talk about in the book is not necessarily the financial legacy, but how you will be remembered, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think is interesting because it, it then, I mean, Daniel Kahneman, <clears throat> Daniel Kahneman talks about this a bit as well, where from a sort of a, a rational sort of economic perspective, we should be concerned about I don't know, the, the, the happiness we gain and the satisfaction from the dollars we spend or how we spend our time, we shouldn't really be too concerned about the things that happen when we're dead because we can't gain any satisfaction because we're, we're no longer there. However, clearly people do. They're concerned for not only our, our own life stories, but the, the life stories of the people around and trying to protect and enhance those stories. So you pick that up and a couple of things tickled my fancy when you're talking about tombstones. So you put a couple of quotes in there, which are a bit funny. So I'll just give you a couple of the quotes that you've got in your book here. Um, from George Bernard Shaw on his tombstone, or maybe this was a, um, 
I don't know whether this is actually on his tombstone, but anyway, um, I knew if I waited around long enough, something like this would happen, which I thought was a funny one. And uh, William, Arhan, William H. Hahn Jr., I don't know who that is, but uh, I told you I was sick. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that, they were a bit amusing, but I mean, there's a, there's a broader point here, which is um, the legacy and how people will be remembered. So again, it's about making trade-offs. Um, and maybe you can give us your reflections on how we should make those trade-offs. So if I'm a, uh, I don't know, retiree with, um, I don't know, sufficient income or sufficient assets to, to make some, um, uh, some choices about how I might, might spend my time and my money. And I, I'm thinking, do I spend some time and money going overseas um, or should I stay home and be available to look after the grandkids and babysit uh, one might help protect my legacy. They're helping out with the grandkids, be re remembered fondly by the grandkids and pre presumably my kids who <laughs> I'm helping out versus actually spending it overseas. Again, it's a trade-off. What, what are your suggestions or thoughts around how people should be thinking about those trade-offs? I'm not a grandfather yet. Um, and um, so you'll probably have to ask me that in a little while. But I think um, that's a cultural question too because there's often um, certain... Uh, Culturally, you're depending on how close you are as a family and you're expected to play that role. Um, I, I was really more thinking about that in the context of, yes, there's wealth that's money and you've got to make some decisions about what you leave behind there, but I think there's knowledge um, and wisdom that you do accumulate. Yes, there's time that you'd spend with the grandchildren and, and children, but it's also what you're, you're leaving them and what you're teaching them. A lot of that's by example. It's called parenting. <laughs> um, and often, I don't know how old your children are, but mine in their 20s don't really want to listen to me too much. Um, um, I think that's a thing. Um, so what I'm trying to do is, is, is leave them examples uh, of, of things and tangible examples of me if I'm not here. So we talked before, I've got a lot of podcasts, I've got an art gallery, I do different things, now I've written a book. At least when I'm not around, they've got some more, something more than memories, right? And I've even tried to get my kids to do some goal-setting uh, exercises, which are in the book. And to a level they work, they don't dive into them to the extent that I think they would, but they're living their life, right? They're young and, and the, the concept of deeply setting goals is probably inherent in them, but they haven't written them down and planned them out quite the way that, that, that I do, and that's fine. So I'm, I'm forever trying to pass on wisdom, and I think we do as parents, that's what we do. We just try and teach them rules, teach them manners, teach them rules to live by. Uh, I have started a little tome called Things My Kids Should Know. Whether, they, whether <laughs> I ever publish it and whether they ever read it is, is a whole other question. Um, it's like trying to teach them how to listen to good music. <laughs> try, <laughs> try doing that, right? It's a tough one. So um, you do your best um, with, the, with the circumstances you've got. But I, I think as much as you possibly can, it's lovely to, to pass on wisdom if you can. And, and the other part of legacy, I think, is what you can do that's bigger than you. Uh, and this is where the concept of volunteering or mentoring or charity work, which everyone has a, something that's impacted their life that is a cause for them. Um, and without getting too deep into that, you know, everyone's been touched by illness or mental health or these sorts of things. Um, and some, sometimes that triggers um, an involvement, whether that's um, time, contribution, financial, 
um, whatever. And I think when people start to get involved in helping a cause or helping someone or something that's bigger than them, that's also part of your legacy as well because you've tried to make society a better place um, by getting involved in, in bigger order things than just your own own circumstances. So I touch on that a bit as well. I think that's something I'm still um, exploring, but uh, it's a pretty powerful concept. Yeah. So just going back to the um, the uh, distributing wisdom uh, piece, because I got a couple of quotes from you. So you were suggesting it's a retirement's an opportunity to distribute the wealth of knowledge and the depth of wisdom you've acquired over your lifetime. What wisdom are you passing on to your children and grandchildren? And I, I share your experience, but my kids are a little bit younger, but still um, they're loathe to listen to anything I, I have to say. You've done well if they've read your books. I don't think any of my kids have read any of my books. Um, but I, I mean, there's a couple of things that um, um, that make me that uh, I guess I, I thought of in, in reading that, which was well, one was for whose benefit is this wisdom transfer mostly about? Because I, I do wonder is that from an older person like me looking at my kids, yeah, I can see that they can use a bit of wisdom. But does it me passing on the wisdom? Does it really is it helping me because I feel better that I've passed it on, or does it help them and they don't actually listen to it? And they don't really, really, they would value a lot more learning from their own experience. So I, I did wonder for whose benefit it was, and, and if it is actually genuinely in the benefit of the person, like in my kids, for example, it's in their benefit. I need to find a way that makes it feel to them like I haven't told them anything and they wow. worked it out for themselves. Uh, yes. So I just, I just wonder whether. I don't know, the, the retirees who are going around sort of passing on their wisdom need a bit of sort of coaching uh, and sort of skills to sort of say, how can I package this wisdom in a way that doesn't seem like I'm actually distributing it? <laughs> it's, it's, You've probably, it's probably a bit of both to answer your question. I think you feel you should because you're sort of duty-bound to, to try and shortcut the mistakes they might, might make, but everyone needs to make their own mistakes because that's how, how we learn, so I understand that. Um, the packaging thing, I think everyone would have experienced as a parent, you might have been telling your children one thing and it only takes one other friend to tell them once and they go, that guy's really smart. Mm. You know, so they listen different ways to different things. So I think you're right. I don't have the solution to that. Maybe we work on that um, because if we can un un solve that little pocket, um, but it, maybe it's just packaging information in different ways, getting it to them in different ways. Um, it doesn't really matter if it's helping them make better decisions and, and, um, and um, I guess, picking up more knowledge faster because in this world um, they're exposed to so much information but hardly any of it is, is informed information, um, I'm saying, a lot of the time. Like, there's no real quality journalism anymore. There's, there's a lot of, you know, rubbish that, that they're exposed to and, and theory, theories they're exposed to. So... Some simple wisdoms of, of, of looking beyond the obvious and um, challenging agendas and trying to work out why people are saying what they're saying is the sort of stuff I'm trying to pass on. I'm trying to get them curious, trying to get them to think beyond the thing that's, that's first presented to them. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But um, trying to get them out to ask why a lot more rather than just accept what they're being told is... Is the challenge I'm I'm on. Wish me luck. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't think you're alone on that one. That's all right. that's all right. Um, okay, so what about uh, retirement planning? So I'm guessing any financial advisors on the line would be saying, yeah, retirement planning is a good idea. I don't I don't think I get too many objections from people in the super industry either. 
uh, at least as a general concept. Um, and so you say it's never too soon to begin mapping out the course of the rest of your life. Um, but then you go on to say, it's hard for many workers to think seriously about what their lives will be like in 20 or 30 years when they're trying to stay on top of their mortgage, put their kids through school and have a little fun in the meantime. And I think offline when we were talking earlier, you were saying how difficult it is to convey some of these sort of concepts to, to, um, to younger people. So with that difficulty in mind, what suggestions do you have for the types of retirement planning that someone who's maybe 20, 30, 40 years from retirement, what sort of planning should they be doing? And are, are there any risks in that early retirement planning in getting it wrong and being too specific or I, I don't know, something, what do you think of that early stage we should be doing? Yeah, well, I think um, putting the, the, the maths aside again for a minute, um, I really love bucket lists um, and for those unfamiliar with that concept, everyone's heard the term a bucket list, but it's never too early to write down all the things that you want to do and your dreams um, and turning them into goals um, and you can do that at any age. Um, you know, everyone has dreams of, of what they want to do and achieve and, and experience in their lives and uh, goals are just dreams written down. So I've been encouraging anyone at any age to start writing down what they want to do it does two things writing down a dream it could it sort of connects the right and the left brain because you can dream about it but the left brain's logical so it starts to connect those two parts of the brain to say well if it's a dream and i've written it down as a goal i've got to do something about it now I, I, that's the way humans are typically wired okay i've identified i want to do this what am i going to do about it um, and that can be anything. That could be learning a, a musical instrument. It could be learning dance. It could be playing in a band. It could be anything. So I think the the nature of the goals change as you gain experience, as you get older, and ex, you know you, you experience more things, you learn more. You decide that okay, well, I, I don't I don't have a dream to climb a mountain anymore. I'm too old, right? <laughs> that sort of stuff. So you, that shapes with with what stage of life you are. Um, but I don't think there's anyone alive that doesn't have a dream. It's just how many of them actually write their, write their dreams down as goals. So to the extent that that's life planning, um, I'd certainly be encourage anyone to do that at any stage and any age. There's nothing wrong with it. You can't get it wrong. Uh, it doesn't mean it's locked in. It doesn't mean you can't change the goal. Um, it just starts to get people thinking about what they're going to do with their life because there's a lot of people just drift along and let stuff happen to them. And that's that's fine, um, but I'm not wired that way, and I'd rather try and impose trying to achieve what I want to get done. Um, so I think the book is for those people that believe that they can, to an extent, design their life, control their destiny to a level, um, and achieve what they can, um, rather than those who just are happy just to let life do stuff to them. Um, so to that extent, I'd encourage anybody at any age to do a bucket list and I in the appendix of the book I've got just a step-by-step -step guide to how to do one it's, it's pretty easy it's not hard um but I also use a whole lot of different mindfulness stuff like mind mapping etc that you, you'd be familiar with so uh, they're just visual representations of how you, you'd explore a, a goal or, a, or an ambition that you have yeah so that doesn't it's sound like retirement specifically yeah. but it's life planning and and that leads then into your life post-retirement and 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 what you're going to do with, with that. So if I'm, I don't know, 20 and taking your example, I say, yeah, I want to climb K2 in the Himalayas is my yeah. on my bucket list. 
that that's I, I can understand that might be a goal and maybe I want to do it in the next 10 years because otherwise after that I might have family commitments it gets harder to take time off and do the training and blah 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 okay that's still a very long way from my retirement so is, is there anything in, in that early stage that you would envisage that actually is sort of stretching all the way out to retirement that they should be thinking about Oh, not really, but I think in that example, if they actually do something about it and do do some training, and even if they get to base camp, um, that sets them up because they know that the next goal they have, um, they know what to do to put steps into place to achieve it. So I just think it's a learnt thing. And then if in your retirement you want to achieve a range of things around travel or you want to learn new skills or set up a new business, um, the entrepreneurism in, in people who retire from full-time work is massive. Um, you know, that just gives you the tools to do it because it allows you to take that ambition and turn it into a practical step-by-step plan to, to get it done. So um, I think I think it's different from anyone. It's a tough subject. Everyone's got different goals um, um, and dreams. So um, the earlier you start doing goal setting, in my opinion, um, biased because I've been doing it a long time, it, uh, it allows you to achieve things and then every time you achieve something, you get confidence to do something else. It's like comfort zone stretching, if you're familiar with that concept. Every time you, you do something that's hard, you realise, well, it didn't kill me, so I can do something harder and that doesn't kill you and then you, you keep expanding your comfort zone and that, that leads to a thing that's called resilience, um, which is a concept that I touch on, but that's a, a, a wider body of, of work, but resilience is, is a pretty powerful tool. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like what you're saying there because my concern about long-term planning is that the it is so uncertain that if yeah. I was to sit here as a 20-year-old and say, you know what, when I'm 65, I want to be playing golf or yeah. I want to be uh, – I, I, I have got no well, idea. It's not the Japanese 50-year uh, plan I'm talking about. No, it's, it's, the, yeah. it's just the, the, the function of setting plans or goals and putting steps in place to achieve mm-hmm. them. The more you can do that, Chances are you're going to achieve them, achieve them to an extent, and then you can then you know what to do next time and chase bigger goals and, and, and have bigger ambitions. So, yeah. So I've got one more thing, and then I'll turn to questions. I see there's a few things I haven't read through all the notes in the messages, but we'll go back if if people have got comments, questions they'd like to add, uh, feel free to add them, and we'll come back to them in a second. But uh, my my last question, I guess, is around, I guess it connects with the, the, the planning piece. It's thinking about what are my motivations? What, what drives do I have? What do I enjoy? Uh, and uh, you referred to uh, Simon Sinek's uh, famous sort of getting to why, understanding what, what is your why? What is Finding your, your why. Everyone's Finding your why. Yeah. yeah, that's right. What's, what's my why? What, why do I do stuff that sort of inherently is sort of driving me? And... When, uh, as, as much as I like uh, Simon, the thing that um, I struggle a bit with is how difficult people uh, have, the difficulty people have at introspection, that people don't really understand what drives them. Quite often, there's a whole bunch of things happening in their minds that they're completely unaware of, and then psychological experiments can, can make them look completely foolish because the things they tell you are completely not the things that actually have led them down, down a path. Um, and, and that's not always the case, of course. Sometimes we've got to fill up for our day, but in some cases we're completely off the mark. And so I started wondering how how important is it to have this why? And I'll, I'll just give you a quick anecdote because I, I was on um, holiday up in Queensland with my family um, 
only a few weeks ago and we were sitting on the beach and I was just sort of sitting there watching the waves crash in um, and that was crash in and it would suck back out and then it would crash in and suck back out. And I was sit, just sitting there doing nothing, watching the waves go in and out. And I think it was my son said something like, why do you, well, why are you just sitting there watching the waves go in and out? And, and I said, oh, it's because it's this, it's the, um, it's a great combination of the monotony of the in and out with the chaotic randomness of all the individual particles. And it's that juxtaposition of the two. And I thought afterwards, that was a complete load of bullshit. I just made that up. <laughs> you, should just, you should have just said, I like watching waves crash. <laughs> well, that, and, that's, and that's my point. Does it, does it really matter what my rationale is? Because I can make something up that has no basis, or maybe that's true, I have no idea. Or do I just simply like sitting on the beach watching the waves crash in and out and the warm breeze? I, I don't know. So I guess that's my little challenge to the Simon Sinek view of the world, that we need to understand the why, or do we need to understand just the what? The what is, I like sitting on the beach watching the waves come in. Do I really understand why? I don't. I, well, and well, does that well, matter? Well, I, I suspect you like doing it because at that period of time, you're not thinking about much else and that there's that concept of mindfulness and and meditation and clearing your mind. So I think that's good Good that you're doing that occasionally. But, but possibly, but I could stare at a blank wall and do the same thing. I yeah. don't enjoy staring at a blank wall. There's yeah. something about the waves that's different from just doing nothing. Yeah, true. Well, I don't understand your motivation for it, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I do, too, like water. But anyway, <laughs> but the why bit, though, it's perhaps less understanding. I like his concepts around understanding your why because it's trying to understand your motivations because if you understand your motivations, it, it can lead you to um, doing some purposeful activity. There's a, there was a great retirement study done three or four years ago by a guy called Michael Longhurst. I'm not sure if you know his stuff. He surveyed some Aussies and he came up with, it was called the Retire to 100 Project. I think that's because there were 200 people in the server. I'm pretty sure that's why he named it that. Um, eight areas that were that impacted significantly on people's happiness in retirement. And you go through it and it's oh, yeah. the obvious ones. So it's worth, it's worthy, worthy of a read. I'm happy to send the link around to those interested. But it's things like, you know, having jumping your, your own free will, not being pushed. That's the retirement versus retrenchment piece. Um, being independent, having, having a, a support network clearly, you know, Shoulder to cry on if things aren't going so well. Those sorts of things. Planning, financial planning, obviously helps. All that sort of education, psychology. But the big one he had, and I've got it here, is uh, purposeful activities. So people that were engaged in purposeful activities were uh, were really, really eighty six percent more happy. What eighty six percent worth? I don't know compared to what. But and some of those things were just activities that people were doing around maintaining their creativity, maintaining their status, having an interest to pursue. Um, they're, they're running a business they want to run, um, balanced structure, being busy, um, mental and physical stimulation, these sorts of things, adventure, those sorts of things. So I think understanding your motivation of, of what you like doing um, helps you plan your goals and the types of goals that you're going to pursue. And in that, you get this sense of, well, um, you find your why a bit. Why am I living the life that I'm living is because these things make me happy and these things give me some purpose. So I was just trying to find language that unpack that finding purpose a bit. Um, 
and I've read a bit of Simon and I thought, I like that concept. I know his concept is mainly applied to businesses. Um, and that's where he, he, he achieves his, his income generation. Um, but, it, but it's like treating yourself as a bit of a business, if you like. And, and we, we spend a lot of time doing business plans and strategies for our various businesses that we run. How much of that do we do on ourselves? So it's just trying to find some of those business tools and apply them to Andrew Rutter Inc., if you like, you know, sort of concept of, of um, what do I want to achieve? What's my strategy? Uh, what do I like doing? What would give me purpose in, in pursuing that? And, and purpose is just happiness, really. It's, it's, it's no more than that, really. Yeah. So I, what I like from what you've just described there in particular is the, um, is the fact that the, the why, for example, you, you can look to research to work out what that why is, even if I can't look inside and introspect to work out that why. So one of the examples I talk about in, in, um, in one of my books was about um, for example, going on a holiday and sitting on a beach versus going on a holiday and climbing a mountain. Now, what purpose does either of those two things serve? I'm not saving the world. I'm not helping impoverished families. I'm not, there's, there's no sort of greater good that I'm serving by either of those two things. When I come back, which one of those two things will I look back on and sort of with greater fondness and feel like I've achieved and done something? Well, it will be the climbing the mountain one. Um, even though it really hadn't had neither of them has achieved anything. And part of what I was reflecting on in giving that example was that the amount of effort that people put into things they use as a proxy for how valuable that thing is. I just spit, not that they think this, this way explicitly, but it's, it's as, as if they're thinking, I just put a lot of effort into that thing, therefore I must value it. It's a bit like the Ikea effect. I just put a lot of effort into building this table. My goodness, it's an awesome table compared to the <laughs> same table I got from someone else. So it's, it's the Ikea effect. So that's, yeah. I, it's, I mean, there's a bit of research around that. So this to me aligns with this idea of purpose that if I've just put a lot of effort into something, I, 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 it can feel more valuable, more purposeful, more enjoyable. I'll look back on it with a greater sense of satisfaction than the same equally lacking purpose thing like sitting on the beach that I did that I didn't have to invest all that energy in and that's not me sitting back and reflecting on that going oh why did I enjoy the mountain because I'm sure if you ask me I'll go oh because it was the fresh brown mountain air and oh I love the snow-capped peaks and I got out the yeah I, I will make up some story about that but actually I you can look at the research and go yeah it was predictable that you would look back and reflect on that mountain experience is that sort of where you're going that you can maybe well, use I was, I was to a sense of that. I mean, I, you sort of, um, my sort of view on, on it was you've got one life, um, how are you going to live it? Um, what do you want to fill it for? If you just want to sit on the beach all day, that's fine because that makes you happy and relaxes you and makes you calm and maybe makes you a better person to be around with your friends and family. And, and if it does that, that's, that's you know, tick. If it's a climbing a mountain because you have that ambition to do it and you that, that gives you great, greater self-esteem and, um, a sense of challenge, well, great, do that. Uh, it's kind of like, like you wouldn't want to head out the exit door regret, regretting what you hadn't done is, is kind of where I was trying to get to. And I think tapping into um, your knowledge of yourself because people, as they get older, tend to understand themselves a bit better and and uh, what their weaknesses and strengths are. Um, and I tend to lean into the strengths rather than bothering about the weaknesses, right? Um, go with what you're good at, um, um, look after yourself just and, and, and pursue that happiness and that purpose uh, that's before you rather than worrying about, you know, trying to um, intellectualise it too much. But 
I was just trying to use in that book, there's a lot of self-reflection in the book um, and it was just trying to find a way of helping people think differently about different concepts because yeah. now we're getting deep and it's, uh, it, it, it can get a little heavy. So I was just trying to find different reference points to, to help, help people understand what might be my purpose, what might I like to pursue, what yeah. fills my life with some sense of, of, of reason and, and, and then for happiness and contentment. So, yeah, yeah they're, they're big. They're big, broad concepts. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, we're, we're getting towards the end. So, I, I will ask you to sort of recap with, if you want to give um, sort of one or two key takeaways that you'd leave people with. But before we do, I'm just going to scroll back up the um, the chat box. I see there's a um, a question from Ravi saying, I guess the transition. So, presumably, this was when we we're talking about the um, the terminology used for retirement. The transition would be a bit more. It would be a bit harder. If not on your terms, whether it's a whether it's due to redundancy, health reason, or caring for a loved one, what is your advice for those people that might find themselves in a situation like that? Uh, well, that's 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 tougher, isn't it? Because you're not <clears throat> it's not on your agenda. You're sort of reacting to 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 another issue or or condition or environment. Um, that's probably going to if you have had a predestined plan that's going to knock your plan around a bit um, and it's going to take you a while to reset your sales and you might have to adjust the plan. Um, that's, that's a circumstance that's uncontrollable. I've just uh, faced into to a close friend passing and he had great plans, but he didn't, didn't get to execute them, right? And, and that, that's a sadness and that's, that's a reality of life that things are going to happen. Um, all I'd say is know that, know that your course might not, travel the way you expect it that's that's life um things happen to us we lose friends we lose family um, we have to change our our tack but i think in in the limited circumstances that that situation would have um still having a, a plan and a sense of what you want to achieve is important um rather than getting swallowed into that um sort of situation so it goes back to what we we're saying before the earlier you can start planning when life events come and knock you around a bit, at least you've got a, an, an idea of where you're headed rather than just getting absolutely, you know, like a ship onto the rocks when, when life events happen to you. So, so it's probably not an adequate answer and I probably need to understand a little bit more about uh, the background of that. But um, I think it, if you have a plan, you know, where you want to head and you get knocked by wind or life events, um, unless you sink, <laughs> you've got potentially an opportunity to, to get back to somewhere close to where you're going at some point. Mm. Well, um, I think it partly goes back to your point about resilience. If you've had a, if you've had a series of these events where you've had to change goals, redirect your life, then maybe you're in a better position having practiced that and going got better over the course of your life that when it happens to you, towards an un unplanned retirement yes. event, now you have a better place to deal with there, it. There is a concept in the book that I do refer to because I refer to a retirement transition curve in the book and I liken it to the Kubler-Ross grief cycle, which people might be familiar with, where think something happens to you that's bad and your first uh, reaction is denial. Why could this be happening to me? Then anger that it's happened and then grief, you know, the, the sadness that goes with that. And then it's got this concept of, realignment of acceptance of okay that's happened I've got to get on with it now and then getting back to some sort of realignment routine so that that's a, a, a concept that's in science around 
people handling loss or bereavement or losing a job or you know, getting sick, that, that, that people's emotions tend to go, go through that um, grief cycle um, for people familiar with the concept. So uh, I liken that in some ways to a transition in retirement because you're going to have the reverse, really. You're going to have a retirement. You're going to be very, very happy for a while and it's a honeymoon and all that sort of stuff. And then you're going to have this trough of, of disillusionment where you go, why did I give all that away? Because I'm not very happy. And then you'll get on with, with rebuilding your life and getting back to it. So, so there's concepts of that, um, that that perhaps help answer that situation. Yeah. Uh, another reflection of mine, I guess, I mean, this, I picked this up in a conversation with Stephen Hubbard, uh, a podcast or two back, which is sort of dealing with uncertainty. And so we've been talking about having a plan, but actually maybe it's three plans or four plans. It's the it's plan A, but you've also got backup plans B, C, and D. When uh, uh, yeah, health crisis hits, I lose my job. I mean, you've you've have to have had thought about those sort of scenarios and this this range of yeah. possibilities. One of the things that uh, Stephen and I were talking about was. Um, uh, the end of history illusion, which at least from some of the research that I've seen shows that if you, if you took a 50-year-old person and said, how much change has there been over the last 10 years of your life? They go, oh, yeah, quite a lot. I've grown as a person. I'm very different to what I was as a 40-year-old. And then you ask them how they think they'll change going forward. And yeah, they'll anticipate some change, but not nearly as much change as if you got a 60-year-old and asked them to look back at 50 and said, how much change did you have in that? Oh, you yeah, know, I changed a lot from 50. Whereas the yeah. 50-year-old thing, oh, no, I won't change that much between 50 and 60. And so you, you end up with that difficulty of we don't anticipate all this, all these life events that will throw us off course over that period. So there's sort of a deficit in the way we think about the uncertainty. There's, there's more variability in what can happen in our lives. And I guess we've got to play into that by thinking about some of those. It's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's life, and I get it, but I, I've just faced into that too. You know, I've, my wife's lost both her parents during COVID. I put my father in, into a home with dementia. Um, I didn't anticipate this. I thought this was going to be good times, right? <laughs> but you, and you're dealing with, you know, your children's issues and all that sort of stuff. So that's happening to me today um, and you deal with it. But it doesn't necessarily derail me from my plans. It just means they might, I might take longer to get there because I've got to deal with some, some, some stuff on the way through um but yeah that's uh, just lived experience simon and of of how life throws stuff at you it's 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 not always nice but it's it's a factor of life isn't it uh yeah, indeed um okay just uh, one thing from sharon she says um when when i have these discussions but this is going back a bit earlier in our, in our conversation with when i have this discussion with the people i ask them you've told me what you're retiring from Tell me what you're retiring to. That can open right, up your right conversation. Right Anything one. like that? Yeah, love it. Love it. Yeah. Bucket list. Yeah. It's also Bucket another example of reframing, isn't it? It's sort of... It's a reframing, back, yeah. Backwards yeah. looking versus forward looking. Third age, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, who am I now? Yeah, great, 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 great one. Fantastic. And I see, uh, Stephen Hub, thank you for uh, sharing a link on the end of History Illusion as well. For those of you who are joining us live, you can click on the link uh, to read a bit more about that. Um, okay, well, we're almost out of time and I try to make sure we, we do not go over. So I will um, uh, leave uh, listeners with your, well, give you the opportunity to leave listeners with a couple of your final thoughts and reflections. What, what uh, sort of one or two key takeaways would you give people from uh, thinking about the psychology of retirement? The answer to the trivia question 
um, was Timbuk3. And they only had one song that was any good, and I'm not suggesting my future's so bright, i got to wear shades, was any good anyway. But that's the answer to the trivia question. Um, and there are several more um, uh, lyrics in the book because I do love my music. Whether they're appropriate or not to the topic that's under discussion remains to be seen, but there's a Spotify link in there at any rate so people can listen to some music. Um, I guess the takeout for me would be what people can expect to, to get out of the book is, is a framework, um, some checklists. It's designed as a workbook so people can scribble through it, highlight. It's designed to be a tangible tool to really self-reflect on a range of, of, of topics. Um, at the end of the process, I hope it at least triggers some thought around uh, understanding what you want to do, um, when you might want to retire and when you do what you're going to do to really live your best life. Um, so if it achieves that, great. If it achieves a conversation with your partner or your family about what your plans and ambitions are, even better, because those sorts of things, once they're shared, lead to, to richer discussions because we all live different lives and if we, we do have partners, then we've led different lives and then if we're spending a lot more time you know, with each other, those lives are overlapping in different ways that might be unforeseen, um, for good or for bad. The incidence of breakups of marriages and things like that in retirement is, is pretty high, so communication is pretty critical. So if it does encourage you to drive a plan out for yourself, then I'd encourage you to share that with those nearest and dearest. Um, and I think um, long range, if, if you've got friends or clients that can benefit from the discussion, if, if the book is an artefact, you can gift to them to, to have a conversation with them or so they could, they could self-reflect, um, that, that would be great. I mean, I guess the motivation for me in doing it was if I'm facing all of these issues myself, there must be others out there that I could help. Um, so part of the chat we've had today and, and others is to, is to have the chat and if people get something out of that that can help them on the journey, then I would consider that a success. Fantastic. Well, hopefully that is the case. Hopefully everyone who's been online joining us today has taken something from this conversation. And for those of you just joining on, on the podcast version, hopefully that applies for you too. Uh, on that note, I'll thank you very much, Andrew, for your time. Thanks, Sam. And say to everyone else, good afternoon. We'll catch you next time.